Greetings. You're listening to the ABF Journal podcast. I'm Phil Neifer, Managing Editor of ABF Journal. In this episode, Deborah Smith, co-founder and CEO of the Center Cap Group, a boutique real estate investment bank, joined the show to discuss capital raising in 2023, as well as activity in the M&A, restructuring, and recapitalization markets. Let's go to the call. Hey, Deb, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. And I want to get right into it. We're going to be talking a lot about uh, the real estate space in some in some ways today, um, some stuff about capital raising and a lot more. Um, so just to start with it, um, we're all dealing with higher interest rates uh, in, in today's marketplace over the last year, year plus with uh, the Fed's actions of continuing to ramp those up. Um, how do you think those higher interest rates have affected capital raising uh, in the real estate space specifically and just in general? Sure. So I think interest rates cause uncertainty. And, you know, the cost of borrowing is the lifeblood of most sectors, but particularly in real estate, there is obviously what the property is producing, but also a case of how you're going to pay for it. And because real estate is also a leverage driven industry, then you're relying on debt financing for the most part to support your transactions within the real estate space. So obviously with interest rates moving, that pushes up um, the cost of borrowing and it means that you can afford to pay less if you're looking at it from a property level. And I think that that has caused a lot of uncertainty because people don't know where interest rates are going to, to land. Uh, they're not, not sure where they're going to settle down. So people have become a lot more cautious about underwriting both at the asset level as well as thinking about which asset classes they should be in. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think that's something that I've been hearing from a lot of people is how, 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 how interest rates are kind of just making people be more cautious, more, more, more concerned about you know where their money is going, what they're lending out, et cetera, or what they're investing in. Really. So, what advice would you give to companies that are looking to raise capital in today's high interest environment, interest rate environment? That's hard. It's it's a tough environment. For sure, it's a tough environment. I think it's tough for everybody right now to raise capital. Uh, I think, but then again, it depends on where you're sitting on your capital raising, who your target universe is, whether it's high net worth, whether it's family office, you're targeting pension plans or separate accounts. There's a, there's a difference between raising capital for, for an asset versus raising capital for a fund. There's also a difference between raising capital for different types of products, whether it's retail, multifamily, et cetera. So I think it's a little bit uh, it's nuanced, um, but I think as a broad brush, I think most folks think it is harder to raise capital than it was, say, 12 months ago. And I think part of that is is that with property valuations coming down, you have folks trying to balance allocation issues internally, but at the same time, they have capital to deploy. But when you throw in the challenges of high interest rates, then it makes the world uncertain in terms of balancing all of those different priorities. And so as a result, when you have that level of uncertainty, folks tend to sit a little bit more on the sidelines. But like I said, it it really does depend on what you're raising capital and the format in which you're raising it in. Um, Another area that I'd like to touch on is M&A activity. I know towards the end of last year, especially, activity slowed. Um, Do you feel like that's changed at all this year? And can you tell me why or why not? 
So I think that it's the the question is a little trickier uh, to an, to answer than up or down um, with respect to activity. I think at the asset level, for sure, there has been a, a slowness um, in some sectors more than others. I think you know, obviously, office has had a lot of problems from an asset class, but no one in the industry thinks those issues are new. Uh, I think with other asset classes, you know, real estate is still expensive and there's still a lot of demand and a lot of people showing up for properties, for example, in the industrial outdoor storage space has been incredibly active as are sectors like cold storage, single family homes for rent. Some of these areas are still have an enormous amount of demand for them but it's more, I would call them more on the niche product side. And obviously multifamily has always been a stable in the industry. It in some ways is kind of cyclical. So it too is still active. Now, I would say at the corporate side though, we have not found any slowdown in activity at all. Uh, we just announced uh, a transaction, a big transaction, which I think probably ranks as the largest in the real estate space this year, where the RMR Group is acquiring Carol, which is a multifamily uh, manager in the real estate space. And, you know, we've been still successful in getting transactions done. We think there's still an enormous amount of dialogue uh, happening within the industry. And folks are still focused on growth. They don't take a day off from that. So at least from uh, my firm's perspective, this year is shaping up to be as active, if not more active than last year. What do you think buyers are looking for and what are sellers looking for in today's market as best as you can tell from your vantage point? So at an asset level, it's a little clearer. I think folks are chasing um, cash yielding product. Over the past 12 to 24 months, I think the dialogue has shifted a little bit in terms of what folks are prioritizing. When capital had a very low borrowing cost and now it doesn't, it changes the conversation both in what you're looking for as well as how you're underwriting it. So on the first part of that, folks tend to be more focused on cash yielding things. And so, which is usually niche products, whether it's single family homes, cold storage, self-storage. Um, you can start rolling through these, you know, work, industrial outdoor storage, manufactured housing, affordable housing. These products tend to be more niche -y. Uh, They tend to be less institutionalized. And so there's still an opportunity to capture uh, cash flow yield versus you know 12 months ago where you weren't as focused on it because your alternative cost of use of capital which is putting it in a bank or a bond or something else was very low and but now that there's much the rates are much higher folks have to think about well how does my cost and how does my return on a cash basis compared to an alternative use of that dollar and when it can get five percent in a bank account or some other money instrument it makes that conversation uh, a lot more real and it keeps you a little more focused on what that comparison is. And so the end result of that is that folks begin talking about not just in terms of total return, they're also talking in terms of current return. And so where are things cash flowing? Is it a 5%, 6%, 7%? And then also looking at a total return conversation. And I think that is a little more nuanced um, compared to where we were during COVID and coming out of COVID. Um, and then I think at the, the, the corporate level, again, the 
the conversation is a little bit different. Uh, I think right now um, the, the the more popular focus has been uh, on credit strategies. As folks are looking to find comparable debt instruments versus 5% of putting in a bank account, it's what are the alternative uses at a, de at a, at a debt level and is the risk return reward uh, more attractive by simply saying in debt products. And so there's a lot more focus on whether it's small balance loans, whether it's MES loans, senior loans, preferred securities, um, up and down above the equity stack there, uh, there's, there's, there's garnered a lot more interest. And then I think the other big bucket is distress. People are focused on distress. So if you're looking at corporate transactions, you know, are you looking for a team that has restructuring and distress capabilities? So, you know, the again, I still come back to the point that folks don't take a day off for thinking about how to grow their business. And so the level of activity, if they're not focused down at the asset level, they've become focused at a corporate level and thinking about how to grow their business. And then how do you think, we talked about high interest rates already, but high interest rates, inflation are affecting sell-side and buy-side approaches? Yeah, look, all I would say on this is that as we've come out of COVID at an asset level, you know, there was a slowdown in activity because of the, the misalignment and expectations as to a value of property. And what was driving those expectations were not the same. From a seller's perspective, they were saying, well, look, my property is performing. I have strong NOI on leased. I, my property is doing great. How can my property be worth less than what it was a year ago when it's performing just as well, if not better than a year ago? Whereas on the buyer's side, it's, well, because the cost of debt is higher. So I can't afford to pay as much as I could a year ago. And so you, you end up having sellers and buyers sitting on sidelines because the sellers don't believe they should revise their expectation down. And the buyers don't think they can afford to pay more because they're not willing to adjust the risk reward profile and what it looks like. So there's been a little bit of a stalemate. Um, but I think the end result has been is that pricing on an asset level across the board generally has come down. And so seller expectations have aligned down. Um, and that's even for multifamily, which is a very strong product class. And so we're starting to see some uptick in activity. And then the next question will be is where does that lead? Do we end up seeing enormous amounts of defaults? Do we end up seeing more distress? Um, because as pricing come down for property, you also got to think that that increases the cost of uh, sale value. So changes your LTV ratios. It also has issues if you have debt maturing, uh, what you can refinance at. So the, it becomes very complicated then if you decide to hold on to a property if you're a seller. And that's why I think a lot of people now are focused on uh, what is going on in the capital markets, how much cap, how much debt is coming up from maturity, where the rates are, and people's capacity in order to refinance it. So the whole conversation around distress may have nothing to do with the quality of the property or the ability of it to generate cash flow. But it may end up just being a timing issue or a capital markets issue that creates challenges for the seller. I know your company works with both public and private companies. What do you think are some of the key differences and nuances today or just in general when it comes to M&A, capital raising, or even turnaround and restructuring when it comes to working with 
public versus private company? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, look, the, the public markets, what drives all of this is that your shareholders are different, right? In the public mm -hmm. markets where there's a lot of individuals, there are big institutions that buy and sell securities in the public markets. But a lot of times uh, those owners of the securities are not the same folks that are looking to buy real estate in the private markets. And so you end up having this discrepancy between what's going on in the public markets, which is driven by public shareholders, and what is going on by the private markets, which may be driven by direct property owners um, or owners of corporates where are not public shareholders. You know, in real estate, much of the industry is owned by the guy who founded it or somehow the guy who founded it or the woman is still connected or related to that business. So I always come back to, you know, who is driving the conversation and who is driving, you know, the, the actions and what are their expectations that they're looking for? You know, even if you think about underwriting standards, the underwriting standards of how folks underwrite public companies is different than how you underwrite uh, properties, uh, how you underwrite companies in the private markets. And so there is differences there. Um, and it all comes down to, in, in part, you know, the, the types of regulations that they adhere to. It comes down to access to capital, which are different between public and private. And it comes down to who their shareholders are. Yeah. And then um, in the restructuring space, because that's something that I know our audience is always pretty interested in. Have you seen an increase in that uh, activity this year? Are you expecting an increase um, later this year? Um, and can you tell me a little bit about your th uh, rationale behind your answer? So I think, you know, we touched on this a little bit uh, on this conversation already that, you know, this conversation around distress. Everyone, well, not everyone, there are plenty of investors who are waiting for distress and believe it is coming. And they believe it is coming because if you just think through conceptually, that if the cost of borrowing is going up and you borrowed at negligible interest rates and fair enough, NOI has improved, and that NOI has probably carried the property for some time from an LTB perspective, but now is it enough to compensate for where interest rates are? So if you have to go and refinance a property, does it cause a negative leverage situation where all of a sudden your interest payments um, are exceed your cash flow that the property is thrown off? And I think uh, that's what folks are expecting just given where pricing has been for real estate given where interest rates are, that folks are expecting that these to be the, the uh, an intersection of where all these things come together um, and expecting some fallout as a result. And what that will mean is, is that there will definitely be properties that need to be restructured. Uh, the people will think through the cap stack and whether they need to, instead of thinking basics, perhaps of equity and senior mortgage, do they now need to think about equity, senior mortgage, preferred and mess, you know, do they need to have a different perspective on what that capitalization looks like, which would cause a restructuring um, at each of the asset levels. And I think that conversation is ongoing. We're not seeing huge amounts of it as a firm as of yet. Um, I, I still think the, the cash flow nature of the properties um, has still been healthy enough on many of these properties to support um, uh, the, the refinancing as it is. But I think where the challenge will also be is that if the capital is just not available to refinance, um, then what do property owners do? 
um, is probably just an equally as good question is that, you know, we found this with the GFC too, where uh, banks have struggled to lend. And if the traditional lenders back off, then who fills the void? And those that fill the void around BDCs, you know, mortgage rates, credit managers, uh, they are more expensive source of capital. And so again, that plays into can the cash flow of the property support what the what what the interest rates are or what the return you need to pay out on a property on a current basis to your new lender. And then I also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, recapitalizations. Uh, what do you think the market has been like for those this year, whether at the entity, JV, or fund level? And what are your expectations for, for recapitalization activity the rest of this year? Recaps is similarly at an asset level to our conversation on the restructuring. It's, you know, how do you bring in new capital um, such that it's still viable to own your property? And obviously many of the challenges there We'll we'll see, and it'll probably get a little worse before it gets better. Is that you have some great cash buying properties, but now have to support a more expensive uh, financing load. You'll also see some separation of uh, properties that uh, probably should never have had the financing on them that they had, and those ones will lead to uh, some restructuring. Um, we'll need recapitalizing as we go forward in their capital matures on them. But I think at the corporate level, it's it's a different story. I think uh, we're seeing recapitalizations, maybe at a portfolio level or even at a corporate level, they're actually good. Um, and they're looking to figure out how to um, leverage their skills and how to leverage their capability and whether it's in credit or one of the other popular niche classes to take advantage that their skills their services, as well as what they own is in high demand. And so for some folks, now may actually be a really good time, a strong time to be thinking about recapitalizing out founders or existing owners or bringing in new capital into the corporate to continue to propel growth. Great. Well, I kind of always like to end with an overall outlook. So Deb, can you tell me about your overall outlook for the real estate investment space for the rest of 2023 and then into early 2024 or as far uh, into the future as you want? Sure. I am optimistic. Uh, but then again, I'm a half glass full kind of girl. I, I went into COVID and it was very challenging times, as was it coming out. But whenever there are challenging times, it is opportunity. And for real estate investors, Pre-COVID, the market had become very efficient and it had been harder to separate out strong managers from weak managers, good investors from bad investors, and strong lenders, conservative discipline lenders from weaker ones. And I think what's happening is, is the longer the challenges of the capital markets drag out, the more we're seeing some separation between quality of managers and quality of assets. And, and all because you have you know, a less quality asset, that doesn't mean there is no opportunity because people in real estate know how to price the risk um, appropriately. And so when you have this type of uncertainty, more opportunities will rise and some real estate investors will do well in that and are good at assessing that. They have the judgment and the acumen and the foresight to see where the opportunities are. And for others, there will be misses. And, but that's how the real estate industry grows. It's full of winners and losers. Um, and so it's really an exciting time to be in the real estate space. 
Great. Well, Deb, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share all your thoughts on these very related, but kind of all over the place topics in terms of everything we could have talked about. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's been great chatting. Thanks again to Deb for joining the show, and thank you for listening. By the time you're hearing this episode, the latest issue of ABF Journal should be live at abfjournal.com. Make sure to check it out and read about our Industry Icon Award winners and a lot more. Thanks again for listening to the ABF Journal podcast. We'll talk again soon.